just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Thursday. We got a bunch of shit happening this week and a lot of things to talk about. But I want to start out this show talking about something we don't normally talk about, but it's something Minnesotans love to talk about. That, of course, is the weather. And the reason I bring it up is because it is a huge story. We've got a major winter storm and cold blast that will impact nearly every state and bring what the National Weather Service is calling a once-in-a-generation type event that will cripple travel on some of the busiest travel days of the year. We have Christmas coming up on uh, uh, this weekend. Christmas Eve is Saturday. Christmas Day is Sunday. So it's going to get a little crazy out there. The strengthening storm will bring more than a foot of snow and possibly blizzard conditions to the Midwest, where I happen to be as the Weather Service warns of life-threatening wind chills for millions. And it's cold as a motherfucker out there. It's not the coldest I've seen in Minnesota. I've seen it far worse than this. I've seen more snow than this, too. Because, you see, here in Minnesota, we've got maybe, I don't know, I'm thinking six, seven, eight inches of snow max. That's my guess. And the temperature yesterday evening was about 10, 12 below. Now, that's fucking bad. But honestly, in this state, in years gone by, I've seen it as low as 20, 25 below actual temperature with the wind chills down to 40, 50, 60, even 70 degrees below zero. Now, there gets to be a point (laughs) when you're below zero, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, when you're 10 or 15 below, the difference between 15 below and 25 below, <laughs> you, you, you can't really even tell. You know it's cold as hell. And every time I see days like this, it reminds me of a comedy show I once went to. Um, this was back in the 80s. This is when comedy was really big here in Minnesota. A lot of people came out of Minnesota, uh, Louis Anderson, that era. And there was a comedian who was from California who came out on stage at one of these comedy clubs. And the first thing he says, because the day is cold, it's like 20 below, he comes out and says, who the fuck would live in a state where you can die by just going outside? (laughs) And he's got a point. Fact is, that's how cold it is right now. I mean, literally, if you're driving your car and you stall out in the middle of nowhere, you can't start your car, the heater won't run, you can't walk for any distance because it's 15 below, you literally can die. And it's a scary situation sometimes. I never really worry about myself. Unfortunately, most people have cell phones right now, but I've always worried about my family. I know how crazy the roads can get with just a little bit of snow. To be perfectly honest with you, as a former traffic reporter, I will tell you, 
it's more dangerous on the roadways when there's a light dusting of snow and very cold temperatures as opposed to very heavy snow and more temperate temperatures. And here's why. If the snow's real heavy, all vehicles are running very slowly. There may be a ton of accidents, but none very serious because you're going to be going 10 miles per hour. So when you see these traffic jams on the roadway and the snow is falling, that's kind of a good thing. You may see a lot of crashes, but nobody's going to die. If you're seeing a light dusting of snow, it's going to get cold. And all these trucks that have four-wheel drive think they can go tearing down at the posted speeds on these slippery roads. Because you see, when you get this ultra-cold temperature, you get ice forming below the snow. They call it black ice, and I, I think I told you the story about that one time. But this black ice, basically, um, like if you're at a um, an intersection, um, traffic light, when the cars are stopped, the exhaust comes out, it melts the snow, and then creates this ice, this black ice that you can't see. So when you come to an intersection, all of a sudden you can't stop, and that's where a lot of crashes happen. People still want to go the posted speeds, even though there is snow, but because it's a light snow. And there are people with four-wheel drives thinking, oh, I got this. I got four-wheel drive. Nothing can stop me. Well, I tell you what, when you're talking about ice, all that means is you've got four wheels spinning as opposed to one or two. So you're never safe out there. And if you get involved in a crash and you're going to have to wait for some help, you could literally freeze to death. It's a scary situation. And as somebody who's grown up in this weather, I will tell you if you're just experiencing it now for the first time or the first time in a rare occasion, best thing is don't go out in this shit. If you don't know how to handle it, don't go out in the shit. The roads are going to suck. And if you get stuck, you're in fucking trouble. So that's something... To think about. Now, more than 90 million people are under weather alerts and more than 87 million are under wind chill alerts. That's the motherfucker, the wind chill. The alerts stretch across 37 states, dipping as far south as Texas and Mexico. Wind chill, if you're unaware of what that means, is you've got a temperature of, say, 10 below, but if the wind is blowing at all, it feels like 25 or 30 below. It's not the real temperature, but if you go outside, that's what you're going to feel like is hitting you in the face. And I will tell you, if you've never experienced it, fucking sucks. The number of people under wind alerts and wind chill alerts has grown to over 100 million people in this country, or roughly a third of the population, according to the National Weather Service. The cold will stick around for Christmas weekend, making this the coldest Christmas in roughly four years for portions of the Plains and the Midwest. Now, what I'm understanding is, as bad as it is here, as it goes across the country west to east and it gets out to the northeast, then it's really going to get fucked up. There's going to be a lot of snow and the cold weather and all this shit. And uh, so those of you living in the east, east of, say, Minnesota, whatever shitty weather we have here, it sounds like it's going to get worse for you. So do me a favor. Just stay in the house. Um, listen to 
the Rational Boomer podcast or whatever podcast you want to listen to or watch TV. There's a lot of things happening in the news, and we'll be getting to that in a moment. Uh, but don't go outside in this shit. It's not fucking worth it. Let it ride its uh, run its course and then wait till afterwards. Because you see, that that's the crazy thing about here in Minnesota. Upon at, at the time I'm recording this, is like 12, 13 below real temperature. The wind chill, I don't even fucking know, but it's got to be close to 20, 25, if not worse. As cold as it is, and as cold as it will be through Christmas, by Tuesday of next week, it's going to be like 30, 32 degrees, which is very palatable in this part of the country during this time of the year. But that's how dramatic the switch is. We're at 12 below. It's going to be 32, 30 degrees come Tuesday, Wednesday. That's like a 40 to 45 degree switch. It's truly fucking amazing. And the best thing you can do when you get this kind of cold weather is just try to ride it out. Try to stay out of it. Try to ride it out. It's kind of like the real hot days in Texas or in the southwest. You know, when it's 115, you just don't go out in that shit. I always get a kick out of people <clears throat> who will say, well, I don't mind the cold. I can just put on layers. Yeah, motherfucker, come up here when it's 15 below. You can't put on enough layers. You can't cover up enough skin. And keep in mind, any exposed skin could fucking freeze. So don't tell me you like the cold. This is bullshit. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, why am I not in Georgia? Now, don't get me wrong. It's cold in Georgia, too. I was reading that the high might be 40 degrees. But I got to tell you, 40 degrees is way better than 15 fucking below. I promise you. So... I'd say if you're going to be getting the cold and snowy weather, uh, take care of yourself. But it sounds like everybody's going to experience something out of the ordinary in their part of the country. A once-in-a-generation type event. I I don't know if I buy that because I've been through worse stuff than that here many times in Minnesota. But it is a big event in the sense that it's covering the whole country and not just the Midwest or just the Northeast. So be careful out there. It's not worth taking any chances. I know it's Christmas, but, you know, fuck. There's a lot of a lot of issues out there. And, you know, it seems to me I'm running into some things here that I'm experiencing a lot of death in my life, not in my immediate family, but around me. I told you a while back my father passed away, and that was a, a weird situation. And just the other day, I heard about a uh, a friend of mine from, from my youth. Um, he passed away. In fact, I'll tell you who it is. Um, I won't give his name. But I told you the story about me coming back from Arizona, stopping in Colorado Springs, and the guy there <laughs> selling cocaine and doing all that crazy shit, that weird story. Well, it was that guy. My age, he's 62. I'd seen him a couple times, and he's kind of stayed away from me. I think he was trying to change his life, and uh, I knew too much about him. I think that's what it was. But at one point, we were very close friends when we were young. Well, I just found out the other day he passed away, apparently prostate cancers. 
there's a lot of uncertainty about it. I don't know all the exact details of it, but, you know, it's weird. You're sitting here at 62 and people are dying all around you and you realize that your number can come up at any time. But you can't worry about that. You got to just keep pushing forward and hope for the best. Because that's one thing we can't stop. That's fucking death. It could come at any time. And for example, in this current weather, if you're going to be out on the roads, you could get killed in a car car crash. You could get killed uh, being exposed to these adverse weather conditions. We just got to really appreciate what we have now. Enjoy it to the utmost and uh, not worry about death because it will come when it comes. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that is probably one of the most um, valuable things I've learned in my life. It's taken a lot of stress off my head. And that is to not worry about things you can't control. Do the best you can with yourself, living your life, trying to be healthy and doing whatever. Uh, But, you know, when your number comes up, it comes up. And since there's nothing I can do about it, I don't worry about it. I know that's hard for a lot of people to grasp, and why I've been able to grasp it, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fucking weirdo nutcase, (laughs) but in my mind, I don't think I am. So anyway, be careful out there. Um, We don't want any serious accidents, and we certainly don't want to lose anybody. Another news story that's been pretty big today, and we talked about it in the previous podcast, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky made a historic speech to a rare joint session of Congress yesterday, thanking the U.S. for helping his country resist an ongoing invasion and warning that significant fighting lies ahead. He said, Ukraine is alive and kicking. Our two nations are allies in this battle, and next year will be a turning point. The Ukrainian leader noted that because of the way the U.S. support has become critical to his nation's resistance, American lawmakers' decisions about continued aid to Ukraine can save millions of people. I mean, we know this whole thing started because Vladimir Putin is a fucking nutcase. He wants to take back a country that's not his. He wants to somehow reform the Soviet Union. It's not going to work. We are hearing that Vladimir Putin is sick, stomach cancer, possibly, and that he's really having problems. I have to wonder why a friend of mine, uh, who's not even an acquaintance anymore, at 62, went through what he went through and died, and Vladimir Putin is still alive. I'm not sure why that is. But I got my fingers crossed that that uh, big C is going to get Vladimir Putin pretty, pretty fucking quick. Not because I'm really excited about seeing another person die, but he is responsible for thousands of people dying. Not only Ukrainian people, but Russian kids who he's sending in there to fight. This is all unnecessary. Thousands and thousands of families have lost loved ones for no fucking good reason. So Vladimir Zelensky is in the United States, which I thought was weird. As I said in the previous podcast, I thought he was at risk of being killed if he was exposed to the Russians. 
You know, the Russians talked about exiling him to Poland or something and getting him out of there and having Russia take over Ukraine. Now, Vladimir Zelensky could have presumably stayed safe if he'd accepted that. But he said, no fucking way, I'm not doing that. And that's a pretty amazing thing. This guy has shown a lot of courage. What's weird about this guy is he comes from the world of entertainment. And what's even weirder about it is what he's most famous for is a show where he became kind of a reluctant president. He's a comedian by trade, and it was a funny show, and people liked him. But nobody really took him seriously. Nobody thought that he would be the guy to run the country under these particular circumstances with Russia invading. Turns out he rose to the occasion, and he's done an admirable, amazing job. In fact, what was it, uh, Time Magazine picking him person of the year? I think that's a good choice. I mean, who could be under more pressure than Vladimir Zelensky and his country? Well, anyway, he flew to the United States. I'll give you an idea where my mind is. If I'm Vladimir Zelensky and I'm out of Ukraine, I ain't going back there. But he's a far braver guy than I am. He's a better leader than I am. He will do what he does here. He's doing it to thank the United States, but also to encourage them to keep helping. I mean, the war is not over. It's an unjust war. There are war crimes being committed every fucking day. Reprehensible, abhorrent things are happening there at the hands of Vladimir Putin, and it needs to stop. You know, of course, the United States has their hands tied a little bit. We don't want to get into it so far where it looks like we're going to war with Russia. That's a no-win for everyone. But at the same time, we want to help the Ukrainians without stepping across that line. Now, apparently, we're going to send them um, Patriot missiles and some other missiles like that. And they need that sort of stuff. Zelensky said, we have artillery. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in global security and diplomacy that we handle in the most responsible way, Zelensky said. Your well-being is the product of your national security, the result of your struggle for independence and your um, many victories. We, re- we Ukrainians will also go through our war of independence and freedom with dignity and success. Now, Zelensky's trip to Washington is the first outside Ukraine since the Russian offensive began in February 24th. He addressed lawmakers after meeting with the President Joe Biden in the afternoon, a summit that included an announcement of new White House support for Ukraine, including the transfer of the sophisticated Patriot missile defense system. Separately, legislators from both parties, a bipartisan effort, agreed earlier this week to give Ukraine $45 billion in additional military aid. Now, Ukraine has never asked American soldiers to fight on our land instead of us. Zelensky goes on to say, I assure you that Ukrainian soldiers can perfectly operate American tanks and planes for themselves, he said. I thank President Biden and both parties for your invaluable assistance. 
I thank your cities and your citizens who supported Ukraine this year. And he's absolutely right. It's it's absolutely essential that we help out in this situation. I dare say it's more important to help out the Ukrainians in this situation than it was for us to wade into Vietnam. Vietnam, going into Vietnam was ill-advised. The hippies said it while it was going on. And in retrospect, I think everybody knows the hippies were right back then, that we should have never gone into that. That was an unwinnable war. The difference is we're not technically in this war. We're helping people try to get their independence after being attacked for no good reason. Now, here's the fucked up thing about this. As much as Zelensky is being supported, he got a standing ovation in the joint session or joint meeting between Senate and the House of Representatives. In spite of that, Right-wing Republicans, the far-right radicals, slammed aid to Ukraine even as President Vladimir Zelensky arrived in the U.S. Wednesday for his historic visit. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you won't be surprised by this, a staunch supporter of former President Donald Trump, denounced Zelensky as America's shadow president. And Ukraine is the 51st state in an ugly outburst against the key U.S. ally. Here's the scary thing about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's stupid. She's anti-democracy. She wants to overthrow this country. She wants to destroy democracy. Yet somehow she still wields some power in the Republican Party. She's part of a minority group within the Republican Party, but they are loud and obnoxious and they are fucking stupid. And they've got Kevin McCarthy tied up and they are basically holding him hostage. He wants to be the Speaker of the House, but he's not going to get it unless he he gives in to Marjorie Taylor Greene and that whole group, Matt Gates and such. He's not going to be able to do his job. And as somebody pointed out recently, even if he does, I think Adam Schiff pointed this out, even if he does become Speaker of the House, it won't be for very long. They'll put them in just to get it done, and then they'll work their ass off to try to get them out because they want MAGA to run the House of Representatives. They don't even care if they have a Speaker of the House. They want the MAGA group to pretty much run the House of Representatives. Whether they will be able to do that or not, I don't know. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene also trashed Republican Senator Mitch McConnell on Wednesday as a turncoat who is pushing a massive compromise end-of-the-year spending bill so he can hand a $47 billion check to Zelensky. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's interesting. You're against helping Ukraine, but you're all for giving money to the rich and to the military-industrial complex. Now, Green tweeted this, it's like the American people are raped every day at the hands of their own elected leaders. Well, she may be right about that, but it's not the Democrats, it's not Mitch McConnell, it's you fucking crazy motherfuckers. 
Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado critically told her followers that the spending bill includes billions for Ukraine. Yes, really, she added. Like that's some appalling thing. Donald Trump Jr. took an even harsher line at Zelensky, who was likely to receive a rapturous reception, which he did. Don Jr., this coked-out fucking idiot, Zelensky is basically an ungrateful international welfare queen. Mainstream Republicans have mostly lined up behind President Joe Biden's effort to back Zelensky, a push that would appear to be firmly in line with historic GOP backing of muscular American foreign policy. I mean, the fact of the matter is this is something Republicans would always support. But in this case, the MAGA right, the fucking crazies, they're not only mad about Zelensky. They're not only mad about the Democrats. They're mad about their own party. I mean, that's the ironic thing. And this kind of goes to what I've said all along. As much as the House of Representatives are now going to be controlled by the Republicans, they aren't strong. They aren't strong at all. They can't come to 218 votes to get a Speaker of the House. The MAGA group in the House of Representatives may be the minority of the Republicans, but they're so loud and obnoxious that uh, they kind of control things there. And they're going to come out and say things like they're saying here about Ukraine and Zelensky. What the MAGA faction is doing to their own party is pretty much what the Republican Party did to the Democrats the last six years. Talk loud, talk obnoxious, conspiracy theories, all this crazy shit. And if you allow them to do that, they will take over the narrative and they will take control. The Democrats hopefully have learned a lesson from this, these six years. But now the Republican Party themselves has to deal with this. And this is good news for the Democrats. As much as these Republicans may have power in the House of Representatives, if they are fractured, if they are divided, this is going to make them weaker. The Democrats have control in the Senate with 51 seats. That's going to make huge changes in what happens in the Senate. The House is problematic because they have a thin majority. But there's a lot of things going on with that thin majority. With the um, upcoming release of the uh, January 6th evidence, and I will just say this, we'll talk more about the January 6th evidence in a moment, Um, all of the evidence was supposed to be released yesterday, and it wasn't. Some bits and pieces were, and there's a lot to talk about with that, but it wasn't released. When asked why that was the case, I think Adam Schiff said there was some issue with the printing, which I think is kind of bullshit, but he made one other point, and it's a good point. He said they didn't want to release it when Zelensky was coming to town. They wanted the full effect, the full exposure, and they didn't want to diminish what Zelensky's impact would have in this country. So they held back on it. They're saying now that it should all be released today. And when it's all released, 
there is going to be a shit show, as I've said. Just with what we know now, it's causing kind of an uproar. And of course, you know, we'll talk about that. <clears throat> and we'll talk about the things that that are going on. But the one thing about Ukraine, now Ukraine gets some cold weather too. It's not as cold there right now as it is here. It's about 30 degrees, maybe a little less than 30 degrees, which is problematic. And Russia is trying to use the winter, the cold weather, to their advantage in the war. And how they're doing that is, of course, they're bombing and sending missiles and that sort of thing. And they're knocking out power stations, which means not only do these Ukrainians not have electricity, they don't have heat. They're trying to freeze these people out. That's how egregious this Russian group run by Vladimir Putin is. They can't win with guns and missiles and such. They've been pushed back in every turn. So now they're going to attract, try to attack the people by knocking out the electricity and freezing them out. They said it started on February 24th. It is now December, what, 23rd. In two months, in two months, it will be a full year this has been going on, which is a kick in the ass to Vladimir Putin because when he went in, he said that it would be a three-day affair. They'd go in, take over, and get the fuck out of there. Didn't happen that way, and that's been a complete embarrassment to Vladimir Putin. So now we're a year deep into this. The Russians aren't any closer to taking over Ukraine. In fact, they're probably losing ground every day. But still they can be malicious. Still they can kill Ukrainians and in the process kill their own people, try to freeze people out, try to starve people. What they're doing in this country is essentially war crimes. What's happening in Russia is exactly what's happened um, in America, but even more egregious in Russia. You've got a crazy, ignorant leader. You stand behind this guy and allow him to run roughshod on your own country and other countries as well. Thankfully, Donald Trump didn't put us into a war cause us to invade another country. That didn't happen, thankfully. But for six years, Republicans have stood with Donald Trump, even though they knew he was lying, even though he knew they knew he was criminal. And we'll talk more about that later. But this is the same situation in Russia with one big difference. Donald Trump was trying to make this country an authoritarian country. He hasn't succeeded in that. Russia, in fact, is an authoritarian country run by a dictator. They have less they can do to shut this guy down. You would think somebody would take him out or something would happen for as much pain as he's inflicting on the citizens of Russia with all these sanctions. They're starving in their own right. They're having troubles. They're having financial issues. You would think somebody would step out and take up, take out Vladimir Putin. The thing is, it's a much tougher situation in Russia because of the authoritarian rule. 
I mean, it was tough enough for America, even though we didn't officially have an authoritarian rule. They were trying, but they never accomplished it. And right now we're looking at the takedown of Donald Trump and all those acolytes that followed him for so many years. Russia has a much tougher problem. They do have that authoritarian uh, leadership, and it's tougher to take them down. So you see my point here is what's going on with Russia and Ukraine is devastating. It's appalling. We could be put in that same situation in America should we allow these fascist and authoritarians to take power. They tried. They tried very hard on January 6th. I still don't know how they failed. They had everything going their way, but they failed. I think it has a lot to do with their leader, who is a complete idiot and does nothing but fail. Talking about Donald Trump, of course. But we have to be very careful of that. What we're seeing in Russia now could be happening here if we allow it. And this is why we're at a point in our history where we have to fight, or as like Donald Trump said, we need to fight like hell. And I mean that in every respect. Somebody comes into your country, tries to take over your country. What do you do? Well, if they're a foreign entity, you fight, you shoot them, you get in a war with them. And hopefully it doesn't come to that point in this country. But I've said this all along. Everybody's worried about Donald Trump not getting back in office and having the Republicans all upset, the trump all upset and starting violence. I think there's more likelihood that Democrats, if they see us lose this country to authoritarianism or fascism, They're the ones that are going to be scared, and they're the ones that are going to rise in violence. Now, it looks like we've got things pretty well in hand right now. There's still some time to go. I really believe, and I told this to Tony, and I told this to Ed when we did previous shows, that I feel the paradigm shift. Up until the midterms, it felt like fascism, authoritarianism, and uh, the attempt to overthrow this country was gaining ground. Once those midterms happened, it diminished Donald Trump's power, and Donald Trump's power is being diminished every day. And by doing that, we're diminishing MAGA's power. They're not cleared out yet. They're not eradicated, but it's being diminished. So it looks like we're headed the right direction. I'll keep my fingers crossed and hope against hope that we can finally finish these people, be done with them. But it's going to take some time. You don't give them as much rope as we gave them for the last six years and just turn it around in one day. It doesn't happen that way. Government doesn't work that fast. The legal system doesn't work that fast. So we have to be patient. It's kind of like, you know, we've all, well, I won't say we've all experienced, I've experienced If you go 10 years and you put on 30 pounds, 40 pounds of weight, it'd be nice if you could just snap your fingers and say, I'm getting rid of the extra pounds. But no, you got to put in the work. You got to put in the time and you got to keep working at it. You got to be consistent with it. And then ultimately you could drop the weight. It's the same thing with our government. We've gotten too deep into this. We've allowed too much to happen. So now we have to fix it, fix it. 
but we need to be fucking be patient about it and be diligent about what we're doing. All right, we are going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, I forgot to mention something. This is something I would bring up at the top of the show because it really doesn't have anything to do with the news of the day. It's more of a personal thing. And I wanted to bring this up because it was such a joyous day for me yesterday. With my son's kids. Now, my step-grandson had school today. But my granddaughter's daycare was closed today. I don't know if it was because of weather or because of the holidays or what. But he needed help watching his daughter for the day. And, of course, my wife and I said, fuck, yeah, we're in. We're going to do it. Now, my wife had to work till 9 in the morning. And it was snowing and it was fucking cold and it was all of that. Uh, So she was going to meet me at my son's house to babysit our granddaughter. She didn't get there till 11. I got there about quarter to eight and I got to babysit my granddaughter up until about 445. So I was there all day. Didn't think about news, didn't think about anything. I didn't even do a TikTok yesterday, which is, which is very unusual. But I couldn't do a TikTok because I was focused on a two and a half year old. And I got to tell you, that was fucking awesome. We watched her favorite shows, Rosie and Daniel Tiger. She doesn't get to watch a lot of television, but when Grandpa's only there, we watch as much fucking television as we want. We played Legos, we played games, we played with her dolls and her uh, stuffies, as she calls them, the stuffed animals. Just had a fucking great time. Just me and her hanging out, doing what we do. And uh, I got to tell you, it is tiring. That little kid moves, and you got to be on top of everything. You got to feed her, you got to change your diaper, you got to play what she wants to play. And it's hard work, but I love doing it. Then grandma came, and she took some of the heat off of me, and uh, we spent the day with this kid. And my wife and I agreed that there is one thing we're concerned about with this, uh, with this granddaughter of ours. I think she's too fucking adorable. (laughs) I mean, she's just hilarious and cute and funny and all that kind of stuff. But it's almost unbelievable. I mean, it may be because my wife and I are a little biased, as we might be. But it was a fucking great time. I didn't worry about anything else in the world but this little girl keeping her entertained and keeping her safe. She wanted to go outside, and I said, dude, you don't want to go outside. It's too fucking cold. I didn't say fucking, of course. I Believe it or not, I'm able to pull myself back from swearing when I'm around my granddaughter. And people may be surprised by that, but for whatever reason, I've got an automatic switch when it comes to swearing. All those years I spent on the radio, I couldn't swear like I do on this podcast, and I never did. I never got caught swearing on the air. Somehow, I'm able to flip that switch off. 
But when I do the podcast or when I do the TikToks or when I'm dealing in my regular life, dealing with adults, all the switches are up. All the Fs, the, all the words that uh, everybody thinks is naughty come flying out of my mouth. Much to the chagrin of some folks, but you know me, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> this is me. You either like me or you don't, and I don't care either way. Anyway, let's get to the news. I had a great time with my granddaughter. It was fucking awesome. I'll do it again anytime he wants me to do it. Anyhow, let's talk about what's going on in the news. Um, yesterday was going to be a big day because of uh, the J6 committee was scheduled to release all of their documentation, all of their evidence from their 18 months investigation, 1,200 depositions. Well, it didn't happen, and as I said, there were a couple of excuses for it. But some things did come out, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The other thing that was to come out yesterday, and parts of it did, they didn't say everything was going to come out yesterday, was Donald Trump's taxes. We know the House Ways and Means Committee finally got hold of Donald Trump's taxes with just two or three weeks left before the Republicans take over. So they can't take it through the normal process. So they got together. They voted to release it to the general public. Now, as I've said, the whole reason why they wanted to get Donald Trump's taxes, at least initially, wasn't to out Donald Trump. Maybe it was. But it was more to expose the IRS. You see, the IRS failed to pursue mandatory audits of Donald Trump on a timely basis during his presidency. That was found by a congressional panel raising questions about statements by the former president and leading members of his administration who claimed he could not release his tax filings because of ongoing audits. Well, it turns out there were no audits, zero audits, which is out of the norm. I won't say it's illegal because it's a rule that the IRS has, but clearly in this situation, the IRS did not follow their own rules. See, here's the deal. Most presidents, all presidents, with the exception of Donald Trump, release their taxes. And the reason it's important, we need to know that our presidents aren't compromised or obliged to foreign countries. So most presidents, all presidents besides Donald Trump, release their taxes and say, here, here, this is how much I made. This is where I got my money. There you go. Donald Trump refused to do that. And he always claimed that he couldn't because he was under audit, which is a lie in the first place. Just because you're under audit doesn't mean you can't release your taxes. But he stuck with that lie as he does. So when somebody... A president doesn't release his taxes. That doesn't mean that the concerns aren't still there. So the failsafe was set up by the IRS to audit a president and a vice president every year while they're in office. That is their rule. But somehow, some way, the IRS did not do that. Donald Trump lied. He wasn't under audit at all. He should have been, but he wasn't. And that audit was there to protect this country to make sure our president wasn't compromised. But there was no audit. 
Now, people might look at the IRS and say, what are they doing? Were they too busy? Did they forget? Are they corrupt? Well, I don't know if the IRS is corrupt, but I think when you look at this, you can realize what happened. Of course, Donald Trump put his guy as the director of the IRS. In spite of the fact that they were supposed to audit Donald Trump, it's conceivable and likely that Donald Trump said, okay, you're my guy. That's what they say they're going to do, but we're not going to do that, okay? And of course, the director of the IRS that was appointed by Donald Trump is obliged to Donald Trump. And like everybody in the Trump administration, they just catered to Donald Trump. And that's likely what happened. Now, a report released by the Democratic majority of the House Ways and Means Committee indicated that Trump administration may have disregarded an IRS requirement dating back to 1977. This is after the whole uh, Richard Nixon thing. But what this does, it mandates audits of a president's tax filing. The IRS only began to audit Trump's 2016 tax filings on April 3rd, 2019. That is more than two years into Trump's presidency, just months after the Democrats took control of the House. The date coincides with Representative Richard Neal, the panel chairman, asking the IRS for information related to the Trump's tax returns. So they hadn't done any audits like they were supposed to. But Representative Richard Neal, who's behind all this with the Ways and Means Committee, said, uh, we need to get some information from you on this. You have a job to do. We want to see how it's going. And then all of a sudden, there was an audit on Donald Trump's 2016 tax returns. It was never completed, by the way. There was no suggestion that Trump, who has announced a third presidential run, sought to directly influence the IRS or discourage the agency from reviewing his tax information. But the report found that the audit process was dormant at best. So there's nothing that said Donald Trump said, don't audit me. But we know Donald Trump and we know his administration. And what other reason could there be? for the IRS not to follow their own rules. So there was a 29-page report. It was published just hours after the committee voted along party lines to release Trump's tax returns in the coming days, raising the potential for additional revelations related to the finances of the one-time businessman who broke political norms by refusing to voluntarily release his returns. So, they were kind of forced into the situation. The House Ways and Means Committee took it up the court flagpole from court to court to court. Trump lost and lost and lost all the way to the Supreme Court. And, of course, the Supreme Court said, no, you got to give them the taxes. Donald Trump did what he does. He diverts and delays. He tries to run out the clock, and he damn near ran out the clock on these taxes. Came within three or four weeks of the time the Republicans would take over the House and would pretty much shut this down. We would never see anything regarding these taxes. Fortunately, it ended before the Republicans took over. The Democrats weren't able to go through the process like they would normally do it, so now they've announced that they're making it available to the public. 
Democrats on the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee argued that transparency and the rule of law were at stake, while Republicans countered that release would set a dangerous precedent with regard to the loss of protections. You know, it's funny, and this is how stupid Republicans are. They said, oh, yeah, you want Donald Trump's taxes? Then we'll get Obama's and Biden's taxes. Too late, motherfucker. They already voluntarily released their taxes. This is how stupid they are. Texas Rep Kevin Brady, the panel's top GOP member, said, regrettably, the deed is done. Over our objections in opposition, Democrats in the Ways and Means Committee have unleashed a dangerous new political weapon that overturns decades of privacy protections. He told reporters the era of political targeting and of Congress's enemy list is back and every American, every American taxpayer who may get on the wrong side of the majority in Congress is now at risk. Funny he should mention that. Didn't Donald Trump use the IRS to target James Comey and others? Anybody that was talking against Donald Trump, he sent the IRS after him. And, of course, Donald Trump's boy, whoever that was leading the IRS, said, sure, boss, we'll fucking do that. This is the way the Republicans do business. It's all about projection. They're trying to strong arm or threaten the Democrats with... Um, retaliatory consequences. But they've already done this shit. This isn't new. This is something they already did. Now, Trump spent much of Tuesday evening releasing statements on his social media platform that were unrelated to his tax returns. The IRS didn't immediately respond to a request for comment, but an accompanying report released by Congress Nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation also found repeated faults with the IRS's approach toward auditing Trump and his companies. And yes, you can fault the IRS for this, but who was running the IRS at that point? Trump and Trumplefox. They were doing it. See, this is what Donald Trump did that was so egregious. He weaponized the IRS. He weaponized the DOJ. The very things that the Republicans are screaming about now, saying the Democrats will do if we're not careful, if we don't stop doing these things, the Democrats will weaponize these two departments and others. And they're screaming about this because we're simply trying to weed out the problems that Donald Trump created in the IRS, the DOJ, and other areas. But this is how they do things. They lie, they bullshit, and uh, they're all in it uh, for themselves. Now, we were talking about... uh, his taxes. Now it's going to take, once all these taxes are out there, it's going to take a little time for lawmakers and the public and the media to digest the trove of documents relating to former President Donald Trump's tax returns. They're going to come out and you're going to start hearing some things, and we have, and we'll get to them in a moment. But it's going to take a while. It's going to be kind of a uh, a bomb with a long fuse on it. 
And when it hits and all is exposed and people have been given the time to analyze it, and we can actually talk about it, this is going to be a huge problem for Donald Trump. We know that Trump repeatedly defied convention and refused to release his tax returns, both as a presidential candidate and a sitting president. The committee, which is responsible for IRS oversight in writing tax policy, had long sought and finally obtained just a few weeks ago the tax returns. This was a three-year process. This started in 2019. They were trying to get it. And, of course, Donald Trump was successful in delaying taking it up through all the courts. He kept losing, but he was able to appeal it and appeal it, and it took time to get these things into the courts. Now, after what we do find out about these taxes of Donald Trump's, some pretty amazing and appalling things. After years of carrying forward big losses to greatly reduce, if not zero out his federal income tax liability, Trump reported a considerable tax bill in the middle two years of his presidency, according to the tables in the JCT report. See, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, happy with lowering his taxes, he wanted to completely end any taxes for him. I mean, here's a guy who claims to be a billionaire, but he pays maybe 3 or 4% in taxes. And the fact of the matter is, is that the amount of money he claims to earn and the amount of money he claims to have lost in his own taxes don't suggest he's a billionaire. Now, we can't really tell his, his net worth with these, uh, with these taxes because whatever properties he owns and all that sort of stuff. But we know he has a tendency of exaggerating the value of his properties. Well, up until the time that he has to pay taxes on them, then he cuts them in half or a third or whatever. Trump paid a combined $1.1 million in federal income taxes in 2018, 2019, and that's a stark contrast to the $750 he paid in 2017 and the $0 he paid in 2020. Now, I'm not a rich man. I'm not a rich man by any stretch of the imagination, but I pay way more than $750 in a given year. And I think all of you do too. He says his taxable income in 2018 neared $23 million, which included a $22 million capital gain. The next year, he reported close to $3 million in taxable income with a capital gain of $9 million. However, in 2020, Trump reported losses of over $16 million, large enough to reduce his federal income tax bill to zero. Now, let's just say he made $20 million a year for the last six years. That doesn't even factor into him being a billionaire, nowhere close. And the fact of the matter is, in most of those six years, four of those six years, he suggested he lost, and he lost big 
20 million here, 15 million there. For many years prior to his running for president, a New York Times investigation showed that Trump had claimed huge net operating losses that he was allowed to carry forward and apply to future tax years, which greatly reduced or simply wiped out his annual income tax liability. So what he did essentially was claim a lot of losses in the previous year. He was able to carry them forward into the next year, and that was help in deducting from his net profits. So, and it sounded like he was pulling this stuff out arbitrarily, because one of the things they're talking about in his taxes is he really didn't show any proof. There was no evidence of these losses. He just wrote them in the fucking line. And so he's coming into the next tax year and he says, well, I don't want to pay taxes. So I'm just going to tell him that I lost a lot of money last year, carry it forward to this year. This is one of those tax loopholes that rich people get. They said, for example, the JCT noted that Trump carried forward $105 million in losses on his 2015 return, $73 million in his 2016 return, $45 million in 2017, and $23 million in 2018. That's a loss in six years, every year. How does that make him a billionaire? This is what Donald Trump didn't want us to see. He wanted, didn't want us to see these small numbers for a guy to, that claims to have 3 to $10 billion. <clears throat> it changes all the time. Now, in 2015, Trump claimed a $21.1 million deduction for donating 150 acres of his 212-acre property called Seven Springs in North Castle, New York. The donation, which was made to a land trust, is a focus of the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal investigation of the Trump organization. You see where this comes in. He claims that he donated or got a deduction of $21.1 million. But of course, according to the Manhattan District, he tended to over-exaggerate the values of his property. And I'm guessing 150 acre, 58 acres probably wasn't worth anywhere near $21 million. So we see what he did with his taxes. But this is also what the Manhattan District is looking into. This is one of the reasons why the Manhattan District prosecuted the Trump organization, and this is why the Trump organization was found guilty on 17 different counts. The IRS allows an income tax deduction for owners who give up rights to their land for the purpose of conservation, but the IRS has raised questions about whether the value of Trump's land donation was inflated. Well, of course it was. This is the whole point as to why they are uh, finding the Trump organization guilty and why they're now looking into Donald Trump personally. We thought they might not do that. Elvin Bragg, the DA in the Manhattan District, seemed to back off of Donald Trump. But once they won conviction of the Trump organization to the tune of 17 counts, Apparently, he grew a set of balls, and now he's looking into Donald Trump because we know that Donald Trump had his hands on everything within his company. 
His company wasn't this vast company with all kinds of executives. There was Alan Weisselberg and maybe a couple of other people, but nothing was done without Donald Trump's involvement. And now apparently D.A. Elvin Bragg is ready to look into that. And if his organization has been found guilty on 17 counts, you can bet Donald Trump is going to run into some fucking troubles. And this all ties in with the taxes. The taxes we are seeing now are proving exactly the concerns of the Manhattan district. So Donald Trump is fucked. The release of these taxes is not a good thing for Donald Trump in many ways. It makes him look weaker. It makes him look poorer. It makes him look like a worse businessman than he claims to be. And for somebody who's a narcissist, this is maybe the worst punishment you can put him through. It'll be interesting to see how he tries to spin this, but it's not going to go well for him. Now, as I've said, the January 6th committee's full report and evidence was supposed to be released yesterday. It was not for any number of reasons. It is supposed to be released today. We'll see if that actually happens. Trust, though, that this evidence will be released. I mean, this is a vast amount of evidence. There's hours and hours of video testimony. There are transcripts, there are text messages, there are emails, there are close to a million documents. Now, I don't know if all million will be released, but enough of them to prove some of the crimes that Donald Trump and the people around him committed. Now, the executive summary of the House January 6th committee's report um, has been released Documents show then-President Donald Trump was repeatedly warned by those closest to him, cabinet members, campaign officials, even his family, Ivanka and such, that claims he had lost his reelection due to fraud were false. But Trump spread those lies. I mean, it always goes back to intent. Did he know that there was no fraud? Did he believe there was fraud? And... Um, this evidence is showing that he knew very well. He was told by any number of advisors that he lost. He just chose not to, I won't even say not to believe it. I'm sure he did believe it. But his only defense to something like this is to promote the big lie. Just say there was fraud. Just say he won. And we know this is true because we've heard heard uh, comments on tape from Steve Bannon, from Roger Stone. Yeah, this is what we're going to do. Even if we lose, we're going to say, fuck you, we didn't lose, and then create chaos. This is what Steve Bannon and Roger Stone said, and this is what Donald Trump fucking did. This was not him hearing from Joe Biden's spokesman on MSNBC, David Becker, the co-author of Big Truth, a book about the damage of Trump's election lies. He said very specifically that Trump out and out lied about his loss in the 2020 election, and he knew very well that he was lying. But he, he continued to do it anyway. 
Now he goes on to say, here are the details showing he was told the truth about his loss and chose instead to lie about it. The January 6th committee has made clear that Trump long planned to claim victory. He was talking about this before the election. He knew what was coming. So he had a strategy, which means this was all premeditated, which adds to the criminal activity or the criminal um, accusations being made currently. Whether he actually won or not, he was going to say he won. His allies were boasting of how they could try to fool the public to make it seem that he had won the election. The committee cites correspondence from Tom Fitton of the conservative group Judicial Watch to the White House in October 2020, in which Fitton urges Trump to say after polls close, we had an election and I won. That's exactly what he did. That's what he continues to do, to do. Now, the committee also obtained a recording of Trump advisor Steve Bannon, as I mentioned, who told a show associates the week before the election that what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory, but that doesn't mean he's a winner. He's just going to say he's a winner. Premeditation. So President Trump's decision to declare victory falsely on election night and unlawfully to call for the vote counting to stop was not a spontaneous decision. And that was the important, one of the important things of these documents. And when the full documents come out, it will support that. Again, when it, when it came to the dumbass Trump attacking the Capitol, they wanted us to believe that it was just a bunch of people that got out of hand. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. But when you look at all the facts, this was premeditated. This was planned. They strategized. They had a complete plan in place, knowing that they were going to lose. Now, this is a group of people that were trying to subvert the election and overthrow this country. And the evidence that is being released backs that up. Now, a former prosecutor on Robert Mueller's team believes the executive summary released by the J6 committee might give hints about a pair of cooperating witnesses who would have tantalizing evidence to share. Now, this is something Ed and I both suggested a number of times, and it only makes sense. Now, a parade of former White House officials, aides, and allies have already testified. We know that. Testified against Donald Trump before the House Select Committee. Um, but there were two people that didn't. Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino. Now, Mark Meadows was Donald Trump's chief of staff. He was the man right in the middle of everything. He got the text messages from all the sitting members of Congress and all the other fucks that wanted to try to overturn the election. He was the one that got those messages and relayed them to Donald Trump. Either he did or he didn't. I don't know. We don't know, but maybe we'll find out. Dan Scavino was an assistant to Mark Meadows. Both these two were asked to testify in front of the J6 committee. They refused. And guess what? 
they did not get referred for criminal contempt to the DOJ. Well, actually, Mark Meadows did, but he was never indicted. Why might that be? Now, Mark Meadows never gave up any information to uh, the January 6th committee. Now, wait, that's not true. He did give a trove of documents, text messages and emails, which has been hugely valuable to the uh, to the J6 committee. And there's a lot of evidence that we'll be see be seeing that came out of that trove. That said, he refused to testify, which we thought was weird, Ed and I. And what we thought was even weirder is that there was never any indictment against Mark Meadows. Well, why would that be? I mean, he's no different than Steve Bannon, other than he was in the administration at the time. Maybe he got some favor because he was so close to the president. Or (laughs) maybe he flipped. So if you recall, they were both referred by the committee to the Department of Justice for contempt, failing to comply with the subpoena. And one of the things the report says is it sort of speculates, but odd that it says it may be that they were already cooperating. Weissman added, this is um, a former U.S. attorney. And with Mark Meadows, that would be huge. I mean, he is in place to know everything. So obviously, if not cooperating already, there is a ton of pressure that is going to be put on him. I mean, we know based on what we're finding out now that he was complicit in all of this stuff. He was in the middle of it. He was the man standing closest to Donald Trump. So naturally, he'd be at risk of being indicted by the DOJ, yet they didn't indict him for not complying to a subpoena. Now, Ed and I uh, speculated when that happened was that maybe it was because he cut a deal. And now it's coming out from the J6 committee uh, documents that that may be true. And if that is true, That is a death knell to Donald Trump, because as we said, Mark Meadows knows everything. He was involved in everything. And if anybody should flip, it would be Mark Meadows, because he is complicit in all of this shit, and he will spend a ton of time in jail. Chances are he would spend more time in jail than Donald Trump because he doesn't have the protection Donald Trump had. So it makes sense that Mark Meadows said, fuck it, I'm going to give up the ghost and give him all the information. I'm not that old. I don't want to go to jail. And of course, Dan Scavino wasn't indicted either. And he is not only an assistant to Mark Meadows, but presumably a friend. And he said, fuck, Mark, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. Now, you haven't heard much talked about that. We don't know what's going on in the grand jury because everything in the grand jury is is secretive. But this is making some sense. And if it's true, the DOJ has Donald Trump by the... um, Well, it's ironic when you think about it. You know, Donald Trump talked about um, grabbing... (laughs) women's genitals. Well, now it would appear that the DOJ, if they've got Mark Meadows 
involved in testifying and giving up the information. Now the DOJ has Donald Trump by the genitals. Now, the select committee will release its witness transcripts and other materials from the investigation, presumably today, we'll see, which will allow the Justice Department to greatly expand the evidentiary base and help bolster bolster potential charges against Trump allies who aided his efforts to overturn the election or obstruct the January 6th probe. That's the interesting thing. Not only is the DOJ getting a lot of evidence that the January 6th committee collected, but now it appears as though the January 6th committee is cooperating and helping the DOJ again. (laughs) They've got a lot of evidence. They deposed 1,200 people. Can you imagine how that would help the DOJ now that they've got the documents? These are people that don't need to be deposed, maybe a few here and there to get some further information, but they've got all the information in the documents with the J6 committee. That's going to speed things along, and we know Jack Smith is a guy who likes to get down to business and speed things up. Now, this Weissman, this former... um, U.S. attorney said, I think department prosecutors will look at this release of documents, not so much for the Trump information, but for underlings who may be able to be charged and flipped, Weissman said. So, you know, Secret Service agent like Tony Ornato would be one of them, but they're going to look very, very closely for any information that could help them charge people with either making a false statement or perjury or obstruction of justice to see if they can get them to be cooperating witnesses. See, that's the game here. The game here is to start putting pressure on those underlings, the Mark Meadows, the Tony Ornatos, all the people that are underneath him. If they look like they're going to go down for crimes, they're going to flip. They're... You know, it's funny, Alan Weisselberg didn't seem to ever technically flip on Donald Trump in the Manhattan District's uh, case against the Trump Organization. He said he wouldn't testify against Donald Trump directly, just the organization. But that was kind of a bullshit thing. If he's testifying against the organization, he's testifying against Trump. But these people won't be so hard to break. They maybe spent four years with Donald Trump, maybe six years with Donald Trump. But they're younger people. They have futures. They have lives. They have families. Are they really going to sacrifice all of that for Donald Trump? I think not. Now, on Wednesday, yesterday, there were some transcripts released by the House Select Committee on January 6th. And it revealed in an interview with Donald Trump ally Alexander Bruschwitz, that far-right representative Paul Gosar, now he's a big ally of the president, Donald Trump, texted with a Stop the Steel group while he was locked down in the Capitol. Do you think he had any involvement? The Capitol is being tacked, and he's locked down. And he's still texting with a Stop the Steal group. 
When he was asked about this, Bruschwitz declined to give any details and invoked his constitutional rights. And so th th this is how it went. Can we pull up Exhibit 9 again, which is the Stop the Steal DM chat? And let's go to page 62, said the investigators in the transcript. So we're still on January 6th, and it looks like at 5.15 p.m. Eastern Time, Again, Representative Gozar sends the group a direct message that says, we're still on lockdown in the congressional office, and he sends it to the entire Stop the Steal group. So were you in communications with Representative Gozar throughout January 6th? Bruce Witz says, I respectfully plead the fifth. Now, a lot of these people pled the fifth. And a lot of them thought they were doing something. But this is going to come back to bite them. When you plead the fifth, you're basically saying, I don't want to answer because it could incriminate me, which would suggest you did something to break the law, which is a uh, red flag to the DOJ. Oh, you said you, you broke the law. So let's look into that. Now, Bruchwitz also responded the same way to the question, to the best of your knowledge, why is Representative Goshar sharing that his office was on lockdown with this Stop the Steal group? Now, last year, reporting revealed that Gosar, a committed election conspiracy theorist, also told perpetrators of the January 6th attack that they could receive a blanket pardon from Trump if he reclaims the presidency. Go out there, break the law, and if you win, he'll give you a pardon. Well, unfortunately, Donald Trump did not fucking win. And to be honest, Donald Trump wasn't known for giving a lot of these people any kind of pardons. Of course, now he is saying, get me back in the presidential office and I will give you a pardon. He needs their help now. Unfortunately, half of them, if not most of them, are in fucking jail and they can't vote. So good luck with that, Donald. Now, one of the people I think is just as guilty as Donald Trump, and you may not agree with me on this, but I don't care, is Fox News, specifically Sean Hannity. Because they're the ones that uh, perpetuated this big lie, that stood by Donald Trump, that told those trump that watch Fox News nothing but lies. Now, Fox Group has always said, we're just an entertainment group. Uh, nobody would believe us. Sean Hannity said that. Tucker Carlson said that when they were brought to trial over lawsuits that they lied about somebody. Oh, no one would believe that. Still, Trump will fuck see them as a valid news source. They are not. They admit they are not. But these dumb Trumplefucks think they are. This is interesting. Sean Hannity testified under oath in a deposition that he did not believe former President Donald Trump's claims about voting machine fraud. Now, this came in the New York Times. The Fox News host responded to a question about allegations made by Sidney Powell. You know her, the crazy fucking lawyer lady, the 
released the Kraken lady, a former federal prosecutor who represented Trump in election-related lawsuits, which she lost every case. Trump falsely claimed the election was rigged against him. Powell alleged that the states that use voting machines made by Dominion voting systems were rife with fraud. She reiterated the claim on Hannity's Fox News program on November 30th, 2020. This was a couple of weeks after the election was called for Joe Biden. Powell stated that there had been corruption all across the country in countless districts. Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell, all these people said, we have all the evidence. We'll show you the evidence. No evidence was ever shown. Trump had baselessly alleged the voting machines deleted votes for him and in some cases switched votes for him to Biden. Dominion, of course, now is suing Fox News for defamation and seeking $1.6 billion in restitution. And the company is also suing Powell, Mike Lindell. Now, at the center of this imagined plot were machines from Dominion Voting Systems, which Miss Powell claimed ran an algorithm that switched votes for Mr. Trump to votes for Joseph Biden. Dominion machines, she insisted, were being used to trash large batches of votes, which is not the case. Now, when she was talking to Sean Hannity, he interrupted her with a gentle question that had been circulating among election deniers, despite a lack of supporting proof. Why were Democrats silencing whistleblowers who could prove this fraud? Did Mr. Hannity believe any of this? Hannity said, I I did not believe this for one second. That was the answer Mr. Hannity gave under oath in a deposition in the Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox News. According to the information disclosed in a court hearing on Wednesday. Now, the hearing was called to address several issues that that, uh, needed to be resolved before the case heads for a jury trial, which the judge has scheduled to begin on April. The paper went on to say that Hannity's testimony is among the strongest evidence yet to emerge publicly that some Fox employees knew that what they were broadcasting was false. What do you think that's going to do for Fox News? We know that Rupert Murdoch was also deposed in this situation. It'll be interesting to see what they... um, what they got out of him. But you think about this. You think about Fox News, Mike Lindell, Sidney Powell, and whoever else. Dominion is suing for $1.6 billion each. This is going to certainly destroy Mike Lindell and Sidney Powell and probably Fox News. They are not going to win this thing, especially with Sean Hannity coming out and uh, admitting what he admitted. It's going to be very interesting to watch and should tell you a lot about Fox News. You can't trust anything they say. They are not a news organization. They are an entertainment organization. They've as much as admitted that. And somehow, these Trumplifucks that watch this as real news need to be made to understand this. This is why we have 
insurrections. This is why we have problems. People are ill-advised and misinformed because we have fucking news sources, at least in their minds, that are telling them fucking lies. And they know they're telling them lies. Fox News may end up being no more. Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson will probably have to find jobs elsewhere, if they can. But this Dominion case is going to do some incredible damage to these people who fought for this big lie. It will be very interesting to watch. All right, let's wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast for another episode. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. And uh, I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.